So it's good to be back with you today. I wasn't, uh, I had a cold last Sunday, but my son-in-law, Chris, stepped in and he preached and he did a great job. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Okay, don't get carried away on that. Uh, hey, I knew I was getting sick on Thursday, so I called Chris and I said, hey, you think you could substitute for me? He said, I, I probably could. Two hours later, he emailed me the manuscript. Not kidding, to the sermon he preached on Sunday, I said, what? And this is better than what I was going to say, I can tell you that. But uh, yeah, we have a deep bench here at Vera Christian Church. So Michael Yo is a comedian. He said that when he and his wife had a, a little baby son, they, and they put that son in his hands, that it changed his life. And he realized, here is, uh, I'm just meeting this boy, but this is someone I would die for. And he said a couple of years later, when he and his wife had a baby daughter, and they put the baby girl in his arms, and she, he looked at her for the first time. He said, well, I would die for my son, but I would kill for my daughter. Now, a baby changes everything, and that's, that's true with Jesus as well. The birth of Jesus changed everything. Now, if you're new to us, all the month of December, we've been in the sermon series, Arrival. And we've simply been looking at the prophecies surrounding the Jewish Messiah, the Christ. And we're going to tie that up today and one, one final prophecy, but this one, is, this one is unique, it's different. All the other prophecies that we looked at preceded the birth of the Christ, hundreds of years before the Christ was born, but this one is a prophecy that was made after Jesus was born. So after Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple, he's eight days old, they're going to dedicate him in the temple, and there was a man there, an elderly man named Simeon, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah, and, and told him this is who it is when he saw Mary coming with Jesus. So Simeon, this elderly man, he takes baby Jesus into his arms, which I'm sure thrilled Mary, Mother Mary, and then he pronounced a prediction or a prophecy about Jesus. And I'm, I'm just going to look at one part of that prophecy. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 34. But he said, this child is going to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. Some are going to rise, some are going to fall. Jesus was, his birth was a catalyst for change. And I want to talk today about four things that changed, or at least began to change. They didn't change instantly, but they began to change when Jesus was born. And I'm going to give you a mnemonic device. Would you like that? Would you like a mnemonic device? Okay, I thought you would. Which, of course, is a memory aid. And, and this memory aid is going to be an acronym. And the acronym is PTSD. PTSD. So you may have heard that acronym before. So I'm going to invest those letters with uh, different meanings and different words. But when you leave today, you're going to remember that. I want you to walk out, shake my hand, say, Steve, PTSD. And tell me what each one of those letters stands for. Okay, Jesus' birth was the beginning of the end. The P stands for priest, priesthood. Priesthood, the beginning of the end, what they call the, the Levitical priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, Jacob's, name was changed by God to what? Israel. And Jacob slash Israel had how many sons? Twelve sons, and they became the twelve tribes of Israel. One of those sons was named Levi. And in order to be a priest in the nation of Israel, you had to be able to trace your descent from Levi. All the priests were Levites. So that's why it is sometimes called the Levitical priesthood. 
Now a priest would intercede on behalf of man to God. These priests would pray for the people of Israel. They would judge the people of Israel. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the Israelites. Well, when, when Jesus was born, that was the beginning of the end of that Levitical priesthood. There are no Levitical priests today. In the sense that there's no one today who can trace their genealogical records back to Levi. Now, they could do that in the first century. In Matthew's day, in Jesus' day, nobody can do that today. And that priesthood began to end when Jesus was born. Okay, so you see where I'm going here? I'm going to talk about four things that began to end with the birth of Jesus. P-T-S-D. The, the P stands for priest or priesthood. I'm going to let you guess. The T. Anybody want to guess what I may be fishing for with the letter T? Temple. Temple. That's exactly right. So the temple began to come to an end with the birth of Jesus. Now, Israelites participated in temple-centered worship. Solomon built the temple a thousand years before Christ. That temple had always been there in Jerusalem, been torn down or destroyed a couple of times, but always rebuilt. Every Jew wanted to go to the temple to worship. No matter where they lived, they hoped to make one, at least one pilgrimage in their lifetime, either during the Passover feast or the Pentecost feast or the Feast of Weeks. They wanted to go to the temple and worship God. It was temple-centered worship. But remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well. She said, hey, where should we be worshiping? At the temple in Jerusalem or here in Samaria? He said, the temple in Jerusalem. But he said, I tell you this, the time is coming because God is spirit. When those who worship God will not worship God in the temple, they must worship God in spirit and in truth. And do you remember when Jesus and his disciples were touring that temple complex and the disciples were ooing and aahing at this magnificent building and these buildings. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. This is all going to be torn down. Of course, that happened within a generation of the life of Jesus. The Romans destroyed the temple, and it has never been rebuilt. There's not a temple in Jerusalem now. There has not been for 2,000 years. And that was a judgment on Israel for rejecting their own Christ, their own Messiah. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of the end of the P. What's the P stand for? Priest. The T stands for temple. See, you're, you're going to tell me this on the way out today. I'll give you a chance on the S. This is a little more, little more challenging. And you want to maybe want to guess what the S is in PTSD that began to change when Jesus was born. Sacrifice. That's exactly right. Some smart aleck in the early service said Steve Jones. No, heckler. It's sacrifice. So, of course, now they had a, Israel had an animal sacrificial system. This was to remind the people that because of their sin, blood had to be shed. A life had to pay for that sin. And so they would sacrifice animals. They would, they would take the little Billy the goat. Or they, they, would, they would take little Lammy the lamb. Or they would take the little cow and they would, they would sacrifice it. And the priest, to the priest in the temple. And they would drain his blood and then they would have a big barbecue and a big party and everybody would feast on those sacrifices. But this was the animal sacrificial system. Well, that began to end when Jesus was born. There's nobody over there sacrificing animals today. Jews, Jews do not sacrifice animals today. That whole, that whole system is gone. It's ended. PTSD, priest, temple, sacrifice. I'm not going to ask you to guess the D. 
because nobody's going to guess the D. I, I wanted to get a D in there, and I really had to stretch to get it. I actually had to switch languages to get my D. The D is a Greek word. And so if you transliterate Greek letters into English, this word is called diatheke. Diatheke. If you spell it out, it's D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. Diatheke. And when you translate that into English, it is the Greek word for covenant. Covenant or testament. Those two are synonyms. Okay. So I'm talking about things that began to end when Jesus was born. And the covenant began to end. The old covenant began to end with the birth of Jesus. You say, how in the world am I going to remember that? I'll give you a, I'll give you a mnemonic device to remember Diatheke. So have you ever been at Disney World and gone to the Tiki Room? Right? In the Tiki, 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 Tiki Room. In the Tiki, 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 Tiki Room. All right, think of that. I know it's a stretch. I know it's a stretch. Chris, I'd, I'd get marked down in homiletics class for this. I would. But diatheke means covenant. So a covenant is an agreement or a compact between two entities. And in this case, it's the agreement between God and the Israelites. At Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the rest of the commandments. And the covenant was this. God said, you Israelites, you obey my law, and I will be your God, and I will bless you. That was the covenant. That was the old covenant. And that covenant began to end when Jesus was born. It is no longer in effect, that covenant. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of the end of these four things. And we're thinking about Jesus' birth as a catalyst for change. Secondly, the birth of Jesus was the start of something new. It was also the start of something new. PTSD. It was the start of a new priesthood. The Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. He is our high priest. He intercedes. He is the great intercessor between man and God. He stands in heaven right now, the Bible says, interceding on our behalf with God. He is the great high priest. Our new high priest is Jesus Christ. PT, what did we say the temple was? Or the T was. Uh, so, temple. Temple. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of a new temple. A new temple. Now, like I said, there's no temple in Jerusalem. There's no temple anywhere today. But there is a temple. There's a spiritual temple. Where is it? What is it? It's right here. We're in it right now. The Bible says that the church corporately is the temple of God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter wrote that we Christians individually are living stones being built into the temple of God. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, the foundation of that temple. So we're worshiping God in spirit and truth right here in the church, the new temple. The birth of Jesus was the start of something new. New priesthood, new temple, and new sacrifice. New sacrifice. Right? The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He was the lamb who was slain. His blood was shed on our behalf. The Bible says that he went into heaven in the Holy of Holies, in the temple there in heaven, and offered his blood to God. He, the second person of the Godhead, God offered his blood 
to God as an atoning sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats could never atone for sin. And you know what an atonement is. An atonement is a sacrifice to turn away the wrath of God. That's what atonement means. And because we had sinned, we stood in the path of the wrath of a holy and righteous God. And Jesus sacrificed Himself, offered His life, His blood to God to atone for our sins, turn God's wrath away from us so that we could be forgiven and adopted into His family. So the birth of Jesus was the beginning of something new. A new priesthood, a new temple, a new sacrifice. What does D stand for? Deifiki which means covenant or testament. A new covenant. So the old covenant between God and the Israelites, you keep my law, I will be your God, and I will bless you. Here was the problem with this. They were lousy at keeping the law. They were terrible at it. They broke the law. They nuked. They nuked the Ten Commandments all the time. That was a weakness in that covenant. Still is. We do the same thing. We are lousy at keeping God's law. We also nuke the Ten Commandments. Anybody who said, I'm a pretty good person, I just live by the Ten Commandments, I think God will take me because I'm pretty good, are deceiving themselves. We don't keep those Ten Commandments. And so God established a new covenant. Remember Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It is a covenant of grace. It's not that we now keep God's law, it's that Jesus kept God's law for us. Live the life that we should have lived. He kept that law perfectly. That's His righteousness before God. And when we give our faith, which means our trust to God, in exchange, God imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. That's how Christianity works. We give God our faith, and in exchange, He imputes to us perfect righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul wrote, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So the new covenant is that we are saved by grace. The word grace means gift. It means God treating us the exact opposite of how we deserve to be treated. We're saved by grace through faith, trust in God and the sacrifice of Christ. At baptism, meaning our baptism is the point in time when we enter into the new covenant in order to live a life of good works and thanksgiving to God. So we're just thinking about the birth of Jesus today. His birth was the beginning of the end and the start of something new. But that's not my point. That's just kind of leading up to my point today. My point is this right up here, this prophecy up here on the screen. Luke 2:34. This child is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. The majority of Jews in Jesus' day did not transition from the old to the new. They did not embrace or accept Jesus as their Messiah. Paul writes of it in Romans. He says it's just a remnant of Jews, which means it's just a minority. Why is that? 
couple of reasons. Number one, they were looking for something different in a Messiah. The messianic expectation was the son of David. That was going to be my last week's sermon that now I will never preach. The prophecy about the Messiah being the son of David. It would be a revival of the great Davidic kingdom. The Messiah would come and kick the Romans out of Israel, the Holy Land, and set up a Jewish world empire ruling from Jerusalem. Jesus didn't do that. He established a totally different kind of kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. So there was that. But also, all of these changes, change is hard. Change is just hard. Hard for all of us. I don't like change. Do you like change? No. We like our routines. We like our traditions. I do the same thing every day. That's why I don't like the holidays. Or company. It throws my traditions off. And for most of those Jews, for the majority, and they looked at these changes, they liked their old priesthood. They were used to that. They were comfortable with that. They loved that temple. Their lives revolved around the temple. They liked the sacrificial system. They thought they, they, were, they were crushing the law. They thought they loved, they were great at keeping the law. They did not want to make these changes. And holding on to these things from the past prevented them from transitioning successfully to the new. And even the ones who did accept Jesus as their Christ, their Messiah, were having a hard time with those changes. There are at least two books in the, in the New Testament that are devoted to helping with that transition. Hebrews and Romans helping these Christians with a Jewish background to make these transitions because it was so hard. My final application today has to do with moving forward. So here we stand on the cusp of the old year and moving forward into a new year. And one thing I know about you, even though I don't know all of you, but one thing I know about you, because this is the human condition, is that you have a lot of changes in your life. God has brought change into your life, and he has allowed changes into your life. And some of those are good, and we're thankful that they're blessings, And there are others of those changes that are very, very challenging. And if we're not careful, what we have lost in the past can hold us back from moving forward into the future. If we're not careful. It can undermine our faith. It can sow seeds of doubt. It can cause the root of bitterness to grow up. It can. And we won't have what God has in store for us. So, What we all must do is release the old and enthusiastically embrace the new. When I say release the old, I don't mean forget about the old. A lot of the old was good. All those things that I've mentioned, the PTSD, good things. They had their place. We don't forget about that. We haven't forgotten about the priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices, or the old covenant. We all have Bibles. Our Bibles are divided into Old Testament, New Testament. We read that Old Testament, that Old Covenant. We meditate on it, reflect on it, learn from it, apply its lessons, but we don't live in that. We use that to spring forward into the future, into the new that God has for us. Release the old in the sense we don't let us hold, that hold us back from enthusiastically embracing the new. Enthusiasm comes from two, combination of two words, the prefix in, which means in, and theos, which means God. 
in God, we move forward. We move forward in faith, hope, and love for whatever God has allowed the changes to come into our lives. Elizabeth Elliot, in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, talks about the death of her first husband, Jim. He was a missionary to the Alka Indians in Ecuador, and he was speared to death. He was murdered. And she took her little daughter after a number of months went by. She had an opening to go and live with those very Alka Indians who had killed her husband, and she did for a number of years. She and her little daughter lived with them. And she said that one thing about their culture, the Alkas, was they did not complain about anything. They never complained. They may have murdered people, but they didn't complain. And for instance, she said the women, the women would have a strap that they would put on their heads and then they'd put a 50-pound food pack on their backs and make a 10-mile trek through the jungle of Ecuador, and it's humid and it's buggy. And the, and the men didn't do this, by the way. The women did this. The men, she said, could not carry a 50-pound pack, but the women could. And then they get to their destination. They drop that pack on the ground, and she never once heard them say, whew, that was hard. They simply didn't complain. And years later, Virginia grew up and, and married, and, and her husband... Elizabeth's son-in-law was talking to her, and she says, I want to tell you something about your daughter. He says, she never complains about anything. She ne- I've never heard her criticize anyone or complain about anything. And Elizabeth started to swell up like she had something to do with it when she realized she didn't have that much to do with it. It was the culture that they grew up in, that her daughter Virginia simply moved forward with thanksgiving to God in her heart. Elizabeth's second husband, she married, and then within three years, he died of cancer. And in her book, Elizabeth Elliot says, you know, I never, th- I never thank God for murder. I never thank God for cancer. I don't think God is calling me to do that. She said, but I did thank God through those circumstances for his presence, for his mercy, for his grace, for his church. I found a way, she said, to thank God and to move forward. We're to give thanks in all things. We don't have to give thanks for all things. But we enthusiastically, in God, embrace the new that he has for us. When Jesus came the first time, it changed everything. The Bible says when Jesus comes the second time, it's going to change everything again.